Today's podcast brought to you by Elders and Reinegard by Zoetis. Hello, I'm Kerry Lunigan. Welcome to the Weekly Grill. Today's podcast features a very grand title indeed, the Global Meat Alliance. Just the very word global must conjure up visions of something very, very important for the red meat industry. The Global Meat Alliance is barely a few years old. It is slowly but surely getting established and if it hits anywhere near its targets, it could be one of the most important factors in the ongoing survival and growth indeed of the red meat industry around the world. Let me introduce from London the co-founder of the Global Meat Alliance, Laura Ryan. Laura, welcome. Thank you so much. Delighted to be with you. Laura, the GMA, the Global Meat Alliance, what is the mission statement of the alliance? Yeah, the GMA, we've been formed for the last, formally for the last three years, and we're basically the global connectors and facilitators for the meat industry. We want a better connected, aligned global meat sector and to really uh, arm all of the key players with accumulated insights and best practice. So where we can and where there's that pre-competitive space, we can find those collaborative opportunities. We'll delve into that further as we go along, but let's get this straight, Laurie. You are not a beef or even an agriculture person. You have an honours degree in marketing. What was the, the driving impetus behind the decision to see a need for such an alliance? Yeah, so um, myself and my co-founder, Ashley Gray, who's uh, based in Sydney, um, we were at the World Meat Congress in Uruguay back in 2016. Uh, and we just um, watched the fact that the meat industry is still pretty fragmented. We know that. And uh, not only across different countries, but different processes and production systems and trade bodies within each of these countries. And as the pressure marches on against the meat industry and in particular the beef sector, we realised that there was a real opportunity to come together and communicate and share in a pre-competitive space some of the joint challenges. So that, that was really the initial conversation and it it took us four years to formalise it because we both had big day jobs at the time. She was um, at Beef and Lamb uh, New Zealand actually at the time and I was AHDB is their director, um, which is the, the Beef and Lamb Board in England. So um, as we became freelancers, um, we, we had the time and headspace to be able to develop it. And COVID was a, a catalyst, really. But we realised globally, as the pandemic was, was coming across the world, we, we knew that the meat industry wanted to share insights. So that was a great opportunity, although a very challenging one, to come together and start building networks and sharing insights. Laura, you touched on something important there. You were at the World Meat in, uh, Meeting in Uruguay in 2016. How do you start something like this, an alliance in an industry hardly known for any warmth or coziness through its supply chain? Alas, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the, uh, I don't know, maybe hardly known for um, warmth and coziness. But I have to admit, and as you said at the opening there, I've got no agricultural background whatsoever and lucky enough to be in the meat industry almost 25 years now. And and I do find, and it's probably one of the reasons I remain in it, a plenty of warmth and plenty of, maybe coziness is a bit of a stretch, but a, a lot of um, p- people, even at a real senior level, are willing to give time and dedication to help others learn and progress. So it's there, it just needs, it needs unpicking. And I guess when you look at the big ticket items and talk to um, 
some of the CEOs of the big global processes about, you know, the, the challenges that we've got at a macro level, at an intergovernmental level, we know there's actual, actually a real opportunity to come together. So, it, it, as I've said by the timeline there, it wasn't quick. <laughs> Nothing in this industry ever is. Yes. Um, but actually show, showing the size of the prize and the opportunity it has, has, has got some key players on board. And we've, we've got 15 on board at the moment. And we're hopeful we'll continue with more to, uh, coming on board in this year, which is great. I'm glad you said that because I think some of the differences that exist or apparently exist are rather more historic than actual in today's world. Exactly. Mm. And and that's the thing. I do see the meat industry changing a lot over, over the period I've been in it. And um, it's probably worth mentioning as well that I'm also founder and chair of Meat Business Women and the global community for women working in the meat industry. And just seeing how the D&I agenda has changed, even over the last five, ten years, has been a phenomenal shift. So th- there's a real amount of common ground here the meat industry can come together on. Um, and, and we're seeing more of it. A long way to go, but the, you know we're seeing a lot more people wanting to have those pre-competitive conversations, which is fabulous. I want to talk about um, women in agriculture, especially women in the beef industry, later. But before we get into aims and aspirations for the Global Meat Alliance, how widespread is your support, especially in financial terms? Because this is not an easy or a simple task, is it? You're going to need a lot of support. Yeah, and... I suppose we Ashley and I started it really. We started it with no funding. Is the is the honest answer. Um, and we at the beginning of COVID, we started with no funding, and we're having a weekly call with key players in the meat industry about what's happening and what the opportunities are um, to come together. I think at that stage, because Ashley and I were so committed, and folks saw the size of the opportunity then we said we were happy to invest three months of our time to do that you know no one was going anywhere so it was a delight to be able to focus our minds on something and then three months later folks that were involved in that said we we want to fund you because we know obviously you know everyone uh, uh, has a mortgage or a rent to pay and we want this to be a success so that was pretty easy conversation Um, and we've got 15 funders now of which Meat and Livestock Australia are one of our core, which is brilliant. But we know there's an opportunity to get more funders on board. And the way that GMA is set up, and it's quite unique in the way that it's set up, we're funded, but anyone in the meat industry can have access to the resources that we produce. We produce a monthly newsletter, we have monthly calls. And even if you're not a funder, you can have access and you can understand what we're doing. And then nine times out of 10, they, they want to come on board and, and get more involved, which is great. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a different business model. Yes, I've looked at uh, your list of supporters, a couple of big names missing there. The United States, of course, in particular, Brazil, but the United States, I would have thought they might have been behind this. And Europe, notably, red meat consumers, big red meat consumers, and there's no support there or very little? Yeah, it's a, we're in it for a long game in terms of getting funders on board. And we have got the um, US Pork Board um, as a funder, which is brilliant. Uh, but we do have close working relationships with those that aren't funding. So, for example, the North American Meat Institute, we work really closely with them. We share knowledge, we share information. And this is a thing, and we see it in every single country. And that's, this is one of the reasons of fragmentation. Trade bodies are, are, you know, are funding all these different pots of different committees and different structures. And we want to be really slick, really aligned 
not cost heavy, but just delivering what industry need. So we would like to make sure we get others on board, but the ones that we haven't got on board, nine times out of 10, we're lucky enough to have them around the table, investing their time on us and sharing their resources as well. Well, Time will tell, I guess, but the the GMA is uh, growing from a small base though, isn't it? A, A very small base, I would suspect. Where are you now in terms of goals and aspirations? Do you do you have a timetable about what you want to achieve? Yeah, we want to double our funders in the next 12 months and become m- more strategically involved with uh, the key both levy boards across the world and also some of the uh, key processes. And, and it, you're right to call it out. We haven't got any of the South Americans on board. We did originally start with the INAC um, as one of our funders, the yeah, the Uruguayans, and would love to get them back on board too. And it's always that that challenge, isn't it, about how much you do in terms of business development as opposed to how much you do on delivery. So we've probably focused heavily on delivery for the last 13 months, and we will continue to do that. Yeah. But we want to make sure we, we get other funders on board too. So it is great to have, have a bit of profile with you guys. Thank you. And you're obviously uh, concentrating on the big picture with that overriding word we hear so often these days, uh, sustainability. Yes, that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's ubiquitous now yep. when we talk about the beef industry, isn't it? It is. And, and I made a comment a couple of years ago uh, at a conference about the beef industry being a, a crossroads. And the reason for me mentioning that was um, we were coming uh, right up and up to COP. Uh, and at that time, it was COP27. Uh, the meat industry wasn't around the table. Animal agriculture wasn't around the table, to be honest. And then there was also the United Nations Food Systems Summit, and we weren't represented at that macro intergovernmental level, which I, I think is really dangerous for our sector not to make sure yeah. to, to for us not to be there. So what we've seen in the last two years, which is brilliant, is key players come together and make sure we're around the table. And I, I would give another reference point to the North American Meat Institute here. They've set up the Protein Pact, uh, which is aligning the North American players into a, a single sustainability charter. And they're keen to go more broadly than that as well. They don't think just have to be North America. And initiatives like that are great in terms of getting some global information out there. And, you know, we're running up into COP in Dubai later this year. And already GMA, we've now got a plan of who's going or who's in planning to go, uh, which governments are going to be involved, which are the, the key stakeholders that are likely to be there. This never even existed with the meat industry two years ago. So I still believe we're at a challenging time, but having a line of sight and an opportunity of, you know, what are the key global events we need to be represented at? The, we're discussing it six, seven months out, which was which didn't exist two years ago. So it, it is positive, but, but progress is still slow. Yes, I couldn't agree more. Livestock industries, I think, are facing a worldwide anti-meat campaign and how specifically does the Global Meat Alliance intend to respond and hopefully win that battle? Yeah, and I suppose it goes back to our business model. We did um, some strategic work in the last 12 months to better understand the role that industry wanted us to play. And not we're really clear that we do not want to duplicate anything else that's already out there. So the feedback that we had was the the key stakeholders don't want us to produce separate campaigns, but to make sure we share and endorse campaigns that are already in existence. And the example I would give you here is something that's coming up shortly is a World Iron Awareness Week. 
that's something that the Kiwis have done a great job on over the last 10, 15 years. But that's something that we can all come together pre-competitively about uh, to, to talk about the benefits of eating red meat. So we'll, and it's just a, it's a tactical example, but we'll produce a toolkit for all of the meat industry globally to be able to use, use at the same time, key messaging. And, and that, it seems so basic, but it's never existed before. No one's been the conduit to make sure that we are the glue that keeps all of the key activity together and signpost to resources that, that levy boards and commercial companies need to be able to, to challenge some of the mistruths that are out there about our sector. Indeed, that health message, I'm certain, is very, very important. But it's also apparent at the moment, I suspect it's apparent, certainly here in Australia, that livestock is being blamed for just about everything that's going on. Climate change in particular, yet another challenge for the Global Meat Alliance. It is, and this is where the industry generally is under a lot of pressure because I think we can be really, I always recommend we need to be really fact-based, not emotive about these things and deal in the facts. But the problem is on occasions we don't always have the facts because of the way that we collect data through supply chains. It's not uniformed in a lot of countries, let alone uniform globally. So to allow us to challenge some of these, and we know they're mistruths about our sector, we are improving, but we can need to continue to do a better job. So one of the examples that we use is we collect some of the key information that our partners and more globally, what people are saying, how are they saying it and when, and then where is those um, common ground that we can actually share. And, you know, nothing like that existed two, three years ago to be seeing, right, what is the UK levy board? as opposed to what MLA saying, what are the North Americans saying, what, you know, we work closely with the, the Canadian Cattlemen's Association, for example, what are they saying, how can we do, build joint messages? So it's coming, but it's relying on that supply chain data in part, which, which is a challenge, and we know it's a challenge for, for the majority of supply chains. Time for a break from our podcast On The Grill today with Laura Ryan, the co-founder of the Global Meat Alliance. Back in a moment. Breathe easy with Rhinogard, the only single-dose intranasal vaccine for control of IBR in your cattle. Get in control of bovine respiratory disease, that's BRD, before it begins. Just deliver a single intranasal spray of Rhinogard for rapid IBR control and add a single dose of Bovishield MH1 for protection against pneumonia. For rapid protection against MH and IBR in your weaners and pre-feedlot cattle, breathe easy with Bovishield and Rhinocard. Available from your local vet today. For over 180 years, Elders has proudly been supporting Australian livestock producers. Elders supports your business across the production cycle with more than 350 livestock agents, access to specialist livestock advice and auction services. Draw on our established relationships to buy and sell commercial and stud livestock across domestic and international markets. Enjoy Del Credere guaranteed payments when you sell with Elders. Livestock funding also available subject to approval. Elders for Australian agriculture. Welcome back. I'm talking with Laura Ryan, the co-founder of the Global Meat Alliance. This uh, message, Laura, about meat, uh, the good news, surely you would need, I suspect, at least government support uh, to, to sell this story to the general populations around the world? Yeah, and government support is mixed. 
best if I'm um, to be totally yeah. frank and we see yep. and, and COP is a is a great example of how we've flushed out where government support is. Um, when you're looking at the different um, pavilions at COP and seeing right which government delegations and which government delegations are wanting to have an animal agriculture conversation or presentation, it's the it's the big producing nations that we've yeah. got more of a an opportunity with. Governments like the the UK government has has evolved as, a, as I'm sure a lot of people followed a lot over the last twelve months, which has meant relationships between. You know the key lobby in uh, parties such as the National Farmers Union here to make sure they're effectively lobbying the Secretary of State for policy. Then, then that's broken down, and that's the same. I'm guessing with you know anything in the US and and and, and I suppose in Australia as well. You guys have recently had a, a change in government, so it makes it more challenging. And unless you've got some real strength in in be it senators, governors or members of parliament up here, it makes it hard. So in theory, yes, and um, in practice, sometimes would be my answer on that. You're aiming high and good luck to you. But do you have any further aspirations? I mean, would you like to do something with the UN or the EU or some one of those particular uh, sort of self-governing or bo- governing bodies or law-making bodies? Yeah, we work closely with the UN and uh, we've we've got a person in our team, Ellie Luther, that's working hard for us and she's just come off one of the UN uh, Sustainable Development Goals. So working, been working on that split stream. So that helps us to understand the UN more. We are enabling communication between the meat industry and these huge NGO, NGOs that didn't exist before or if they did, they were very policy driven. So we are banging the drum. We are communicating at these key pinch points as well as communicating back to industry what they need to be cited on. And, you know, one other thing I just want to mention really is the meat industry, wherever you are in the world, is occasionally, not more than occasionally, on a lot of occasions, is very tactical. It's this is the amount of throughput we've got and how do we make sure we get the best carcass utilisation for it and ideally get sustainability through our supply chain because the industry is under such pressure it doesn't always have the opportunity to look at those holistic big intergovernmental challenges it's just too much because you know we've got all of this other stuff to deal with and probably domestically you've got your own government to deal with so really it's about making sure that we enable ceos of these major processes to understand what's happening so they can lobby their uh, MP, they can lobby their senator, they can have these government conversations. Otherwise, if governments, as you've already alluded to, don't feel the pressure from industry, then they're not going to back us. Standards, uh, Laura, uh, relating to livestock are now being related to trade. Does the GMA see any particular standards which might be applicable that you can draw around the world, put it together and have one standard around the world or is that just an impossible dream? Yeah, that's probably out of our scope at the moment and really what we want to do is to stay on the marketing insights and intergovernmental conversations. So in terms of building networks, delivering insights and then facilitating that collaboration, we, we have had conversations in the past about standards but as we know it's such a technical complex area we could spend years in that space and not get anywhere so um, at the moment we're not there um, and our partners aren't demanding it from us and it's I suppose it's about letting 
trade uh, land that way they want to land it and and it's something we as a small but hopefully powerful uh, alliance don't have a huge amount of in- um, influence over at the moment so a lot of issues which I feel I have to mention, even though they're, they're it's a small time compared to the big aim of, of the GMA, but issues here in Australia we see a lot of, and that's a growing concern among producers especially. Could I mention just uh, fake meat, for example, animal rights activists is another. Is Are they issues, the issues which might come down from the Global Meat Alliance as it achieves bigger, big picture goals? Yeah, in terms of fake meat, on meat alternatives, lab-based meat, we have a, um, a real watching brief in that space. So we've had speakers at um, some of our monthly calls before talking about lab-grown meat and understanding the production systems and understanding uh, the input costs and what all that looks like at the moment and where that could look in the, in the future to make sure we, we're upskilled and we've, we've got all the information we require. And I suppose thinking with my marketing hat on, there's always going to be competition in the market. Uh, and I, I think a lot of meat processors are investing in that. This doesn't help producers, by the way, but a lot of meat processors are investing in that space. So we need to be careful that we're not just permanently negative about that. We need to think, right, well, what, why is the consumer buying that? Uh, is it because they want more of a flexitarian diet? Is it because they want to understand the protein in the product? All the rest of it. And I think... It's not binary and we need to be really careful. We don't just think fake meat bad um, and naturally produce meat good. We need to understand the, the dynamic around that. Otherwise, we, we could loop, come off the pace. Um, so I, I think that's really important. And I think the anti-meat lobby, I think that, that there's an opportunity to be better about our storytelling. Um, the meat industry is traditionally not on the front foot in terms of saying that transparency around what the industry is, who the key leaders are, how great we are at producing food and feeding our nations and feeding the world. And something that's really come out of some of the work that GMA have done is um, particularly um, around COP last year, some of the, the African nations, they're so dependent on meat production to feed their their nations and if we go, you know, at a UN level, if we're saying we shouldn't really be eating meat or we should be stopping meat by X percent, then the nutrition of huge nations and continents is really challenged and it comes from a really privileged position that. So we need to be really understand what all of that landscape looks like. And GMA does, does a really good job of that. But in terms of the anti-meat lobby, I think we could be more transparent. We can be more fact-based. But unfortunately, we have to accept there is always going to be an area of, of folks that, that do not agree with the meat industry. And that that is the right to think that when that steps into criminal behavior then that that does make me feel very uncomfortable it's going to touch on your other mission as if you aren't busy enough with the uh, gma the meat business women mbw with meat being m-e-a-t what is this all about yeah as i mentioned earlier i um was the director of the beef and lamb board in england and uh, as, I, as i became more senior in my career and sat in that role, I noticed I was the only woman in the room at a lot of senior level meetings. And then coupled with that, uh, as I've already said, I didn't have an, I don't have a zero agricultural background. I fell into the meat industry by accident and, and totally love it. I couldn't have a drink with my mates on a weekend and they would say, working in the meat industry, what are you doing that for? Sounds terrible. So I realised we had a pipeline issue. We weren't getting women into the 
into senior level positions. So um, for, from my own eyes, and I also realised we had a reputation issue, and that's some, some of that you know reflects on the conversation we've had around GMA. So eight years ago, I set up a small networking event um, in London um, for women in the meat industry just to come together and understand why they like working in the industry and if there's an opportunity for us to network and do business together and, and effectively showcase the industry as a positive place to work. Eight years later, I'm delighted to say that we are now active in Australia, New Zealand, UK and Ireland and hopefully in North America and in Canada shortly and we're recognised by the United Nations too and seen as a solution to their global sustainable development goals. So we're really on a mission to inspire, to show women that the um, industry is a positive place to work. We are all experiencing massive labour challenges and if we don't demonstrate the industry is a great place for women to work then you know we're doing ourselves out of 50% of the potential labour market. Um, we want to network women more effectively. Um, our research shows that women don't dedicate enough time to networking because, you know, we've got busy day jobs and potentially caring responsibilities alongside too. And having a day out at a networking event can feel a bit of a jolly. And then also grow. We want to make sure we grow the pipeline of women and also those that are already in the sector grow their career opportunities to wherever they want them to be. Either they want more senior roles or they just want to do a better job of what they're existing to do. So we do that through a global mentoring program and and a huge raft of different work. And we now have 35 partners, many of many of which are global big players, such as JBS, Hilton Food Group, uh, and others, and McDonald's. So we're, we're in a very fortunate position, and we're, a, we're an impartial voice in the meat industry to show the data, show the facts, and to hopefully get more talent into it. There's an old saying, Laura, if you want something done, give it to a busy person. <laughs> and that seems to I be know, the case. I know. I, I often think that. Finally, on uh, on the Global Meat Alliance, you were once quoted as saying, the industry cannot afford to be unsuccessful. How broad is this uh, this claim? I mean, wh- what are we talking about here? How unsuccessful can we be or not be? I don't think we can rest on our laurels anymore. So my challenge to the meat industry is, is really to, to benchmark against other sectors. We're really good at looking at our competitors be that a producer or a processor level but we need to benchmark ourselves against other sectors and watch what they're doing in terms of the ESG agenda so environment social and governance and we've touched on 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 all three basically but you know making sure that we and we see it from some of the major um, publicly limited companies uh, and listed companies that, that they are working in this space but because a lot of the meat industry organisations, particularly at processor and producer level, are still privately owned, they're maybe not moving at the pace in terms of ESG that they need to be, or if they are, they're not doing the storytelling around them. So we can't afford to be unsuccessful. And to be successful, we all need to have a, a company ESG agenda and also, where possible, align it pre-competitively on a global level with a partner like GMA and for the social bit in terms of uh, diversity and inclusivity, make it align it with meet business women. So there's solutions there that companies can easily uh, tag onto. And it's been really, really interesting over the last, I'd say, 12, 18 months, how actually I'm seeing more businesses that are willing to share. And in a pre-competitive space and nothing commercial, but 
maybe policies, maybe people policies, maybe sustainability policies that they would have never have done historically. But we know a rising tide lifts all boats. And unless we bring everyone with us, there's no way that we can be successful in the future. Well said, uh, Laura Ryan, co-founder of the Global Meat Alliance. Well done and best wishes for an outstanding future. Thank you for being on the grill for Beef Central. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me today. If you have a question or topic you'd like discussed on The Weekly Grill, email theweeklygrill at beefcentral.com. Until next time, I'm Kerry Lonigan and this is The Weekly Grill brought to you by Elders and Reinegard by Zoetis.